Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. In this episode of The Unmistakable Creative, I speak with 25-year creative director and Mad Men co-producer Josh Weltman, who helped make Don Draper act and sound like a genius, all about his new book, Seducing Strangers and the Art of Persuasion Through Advertising. Josh, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I came across you by way of a post that you had written about your new book, Seducing Strangers, uh, on Medium. And I thought, okay, I kind of want to know how to seduce strangers, maybe not in the way that you do. But uh, what I thought about was so fascinating about it was the fact that it was all based on a lot of the work that you had done around Mad Men. And that just intrigued me even more. So uh, on that note, can you tell us uh, a bit about your story, your journey, your background, and how that has brought you to what you're up to in the world today and the work that you're doing now? Um, well, what I'm doing now is uh, sort of promoting a book about um, advertising and seducing strangers and how to get people to do what uh, you want them to do, uh, or it's called Seducing Strangers, and uh, I'm going around reading that and, and talking to people about the book. How I got to that place um, is a little odd. I was uh, um, trained as a uh, an artist, a painter, um, sort of in a classical um, uh, style, uh, and um, I, I left art school and started uh, working as a um, political cartoonist at the LA Weekly, and I was, I think, making $70 a week, <laughs> and, um, and my dad said, you know, if, if you can put together um, a visual with a, with a headline, you can probably get a job in an advertising agency and, and do better. I had, I had never thought about advertising. I'd never heard about advertising. It wasn't something that was stressed as a possible um, uh, use of your talents at the art school that I went to. Uh, I went to Otis Parsons, which at the time was much more theoretical and, and sort of geared towards a, a career in um, fine art or uh, at best or... or the closest I got to practical stuff was like magazine illustration and, and stuff like that. They had, they had a fashion design department and they had a interiors, um, uh, department. They had a fine art department. And I really was sort of in between, uh, communication design and illustration with, you know, um, kind of a fine art bent. So I went into an advertising agency, um, and, uh, you know, I, 
put together a junior book and uh, some concepts and, and, and worked my way into a, an ad agency. And, uh, you know, I was making a comment about who our listeners are uh, on your, um, your, uh, your site. And I remember thinking after about six months working in the agency, you know, um, in a creative department with all different types of people with different backgrounds, you know, ad agencies at that time, uh, 1986, were places where nobody, there, there wasn't really um, a career path that led to being an advertising, uh, or there wasn't a, a, a academic program that, that led to being a, a copywriter or art director. People just kind of ended up there from all sorts of different ways. And I, I, I felt so happy and satisfied because I was able to do the work well and I sort of had a knack for it. And I remember consciously thinking, you know, all through my life, I thought I was just a fuck up. <laughs> and uh, who knew I was on this career path um, to being a, a, an, an ad man, you know, um, because it creating ads is, is, is sort of the, the skill set is, is you, you kind of have to be um, loud and uh, like a class clown. You, you have to um, sort of be uh, clever and strategic. Yeah. There's all sorts of weird things that, that go into figuring out the, the problem um, that really aren't sort of stressed or taught or encouraged, mm -hmm. you know, in, in typical educational, uh, in environments, you know, I mean, um, I was terror. I'm still, I, I can't spell anything. Um, you know, when, when I have to write or tweet or, or just knock something out on it, I look illiterate. I mean, every other word is, is misspelled and, and, you know, that was always a problem in, in school, but, in an ad agency, they they stress that um, copy should sound like people talk, not like people write. You never want to get you never want to give people the idea that you're you're sort of talking down to them mm -hmm. you know, when you're trying to sell them something or or, or trying to uh, write advertising copy. So you know people were fine with you know my stuff just sounding like um, like how I talked rather than how writing should be. And I, I, I discovered I was fine with that. You know, it worked better. It was a, it was a whole different way of thinking about language and communication than, than I had um, been exposed to in, um, in school, you know, so, so that was anyhow. So, uh, I spend, um, uh, 25 years in advertising, uh, at advertising agencies, uh, mainly up and down, uh, the West Coast, mostly in Los Angeles, but a little bit of time in San Francisco and Seattle. And and um, my specialty becomes <laughs> my specialty. Uh, my specialty be becomes uh, fast food, um, cars, and high tech, and which is really sort of what goes on 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 the West Coast in terms of big accounts and things uh, worth working on. Mm -hmm. And um, seven eight years ago, uh, a friend uh, Matt Weiner. Um, uh, had written a pilot about um, uh, uh, it was a you know one-hour drama uh, about a guy um, living in the '60s and working as a creative director at, 
in a fictional Madison Avenue advertising agency. And, and um, we, we've been friends for, you know, a, a couple years before he, he gave me um, the script. I, I, I don't know how many, I, I know Matt did, you know, exhaustive research about the pilot and about um, the world of advertising before he, he wrote the pilot, but I don't know how many people he knew who actually worked in the business. And um, uh, he found out that that's what I did and he gave me the pilot to read. And when AMC uh, picked up the show and um, uh, he needed somebody to um, to help him create uh, advertising within the show in, in, in the style that, you know, he's, he's a well-known, well-documented stickler for detail. It, it, it's hard to find people around who can draw um, and create ads um, in sort of the style of art directors who were schooled in the forties and fifties. Mm -hmm. And because I had that sort of classical art, uh, background and because, um, Matt liked, um, I think the approach, uh, that I came at, um, creating advertising with, uh, you know, I, I started consulting on the show and, and, uh, working on Mad Men at about, and I, and I've been, I didn't work on the pilot, but I've been with the show since, um, uh, season one and we're, uh, the 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 final seven episodes, the last seven episodes of season seven are are uh, coming up now. So it's been about seven eight years. There was a, a one long year in between seasons. I, I think three or four, or I, I can't remember which one. But it's been like uh, seven or eight years working, uh, basically in, in in a different environment in a you know in the, in the world of uh, scripted television and and trying um, to contribute what I have to contribute to the making of the show. Wow. Uh, okay. uh, oh, now <laughs> how that turned into a book. Um, you know, at, at, I think about uh, season three, somebody said, um, uh, I can't remember who said, but uh, I think the other advertising consultant in the room, uh, a, a fellow named Bob Levinson, who, um, who used to work at uh, BBDO, in the late sixties and early seventies, he said, you know, so many people are fascinated by, um, the advertising stuff. You should really think about, uh, writing a book and, um, <coughs> excuse me. I think it was Bob who got the, the, or, you know, put the, the bug in my ear. And then, um, I, it's a long story. You don't want to go through on the radio, but um, we ended up with a with a book, um, n not about the show or the advertising on the show, but um, Workman um, Press was very specific that you know they wanted a book about principles that people could apply today to what you know um, to what they do. So the um, the book is about sort of the principles and techniques that I've always used to um, create persuasive messages in advertising. Hmm. Okay, so there's a lot of really interesting stuff here, and <laughs> I, I really want to go back to the beginning uh, of, of this. Uh, you know, and, and I want to start really actually. 
One of my favorite things to do, you've heard me talk about this since you've listened to one of our interviews, I want to go back to before even school and look at some of the early sort of childhood influences that led you into a place of becoming uh, an artist and and then talk about how being trained as a classical painter um, influenced and shaped all the work that you did leading up to this. All right, um, we can do that. I remember the um, the moment pretty vividly when I was in first grade and drawing something at a level sort of beyond what other people in first grade could do that my teacher, Mrs. Jackson, made me um, pick up my picture of a turkey and walk to every classroom in the school. And, <laughs> you know, um, so you, you start to do something that gets um, that gets you attention, it, you know, when you're when you have talent and you're young or little and you, um, you know, uh, you don't know that you're any different than anybody else. But, um, when people start doing things like that and encouraging you and, uh, you know, there are art contests and, and all sorts of different things, um, all throughout, um, elementary school. And the, the weirder story, I mean, all those stories that you, you hear a million times, you know, um, but the the weird story was, I was thinking about this last night because I, I I knew you were going to ask things like this. But uh, in fifth grade, in Mrs. Garfield's class, uh, a woman who was also very encouraging of my talent, we had a um, a docent come in, a woman uh, from the neighborhood, who uh, you know volunteered to come in to the school <coughs> and uh, teach the kids about art. And um, I remember the the subject of the discussion was um, Cubism and Picasso. And she put up a couple of rocks and a couple of Picassos and modern art. And someone in the class raised their hand and said, um, why did, why does he paint that way? You know, cause it, it was horribly ugly to, <laughs> you know, to fifth graders and shocking and um, just sort of, you know, there wasn't anything kind of romantic or pleasant about these these paintings. And I remember the woman, I think her name was Mrs. Bennett, said, um, well, that's how he sees the world. And at that moment, I figured, well, shit, that's it. I'm, I'm never going to be an artist, you know, mm-hmm. because I see the world normally. You know, I, I, I judging from what I lo- I'm looking at, you know, it's pretty much the way I see images on TV and, and all that sort of stuff. I, I, I guess I'm not an artist at all. And I really kind of believed that from fifth grade through, um, somewhere in, in junior high, like eighth or ninth grade, I remember, you know, having an epiphany, just walking, uh, through the halls thinking, Oh, she, it was a metaphor. You know, um, he doesn't really see the world that way through his eyes. He just portrays it that way. But, you know, for, for like, four or five years when everybody else in the world is like getting into comics and, and all that sort of stuff and thinking, Oh, I could really probably do this. If I, if, if I concentrate, I, I thought, well, that's it. You know, I'm, I'm, I may be talented and can draw really good, but I'm never going to be an artist, you know? So I was derailed in fifth grade <laughs> by a innocuous, stupid answer to a dumb question. <laughs> Actually not a dumb question, but uh, just one of those little things. Mm. Uh, Anyhow, so uh, those were the, the beginnings. Um, but then uh, towards, I, I guess, 
the end, uh, like around seventh or eighth grade, um, I started uh, taking life drawing classes <coughs> at a school um, not very close by. I, you know, I lived in um, the North Valley. My parents uh, got me into an art class, um, you know, uh, where I could study from life from a very young age, you know, and um, I would uh, take the bus like once a week into uh, Santa Monica and study with a, um, a fellow who, uh, named Eddie Butwinick, mm -hmm. uh, who was really all about uh, teaching figure drawing uh, the classical way. Um, and uh, I just loved it. I mean, that was, that was totally, um, he, he could sort of, push me and um, pull the best out of me at the same time. It was, it was, you know, that finding the right teacher, you know, at the right time mm -hmm. uh, is one of those things that makes such a huge difference. And I was lucky, you know, and I remember, um, you know, I was thinking about, uh, I guess I was probably 15 years old. I had been taking, um, classes, drawing and painting at, at uh, Brentwood Art Center for probably four or five years, you know, um, once a week. And I, I was pretty good, but um, one day we were painting the figure, and I remember the model's name, his name was Mark, and um, and I just got into the, kind of this, this groove doing kind of a Leroy Neiman meets Manet kind of thing um, in very bright colors and, and all, and uh, just really, really quick. And, and uh, it was the first time I think, you know, that I really kind of felt the flow that happens when you're pretty good at painting. Mm -hmm. And, um, <clears throat> and it was, it was, um, Overwhelming, and I, I threw away the brushes. I couldn't. I couldn't switch brushes fast enough to do what I wanted to do. And I started painting with my fingers, and um, this just sort of frenzy happened. And uh, at the end of the class, I still wasn't finished, and I was obviously really into something. So um, uh, Eddie let the whole class go home and uh, kept the model for another hour, hour and a half for me um, so I could finish this thing. And uh, I, I kind of worked through it. And at the end, you know, I was totally spent and covered with sweat and, and literally covered, you know, up to my elbows in paint because I wasn't using brushes. It was all finger paint. And um, the thing was extraordinary. And, and um, it, it was... It was, uh, it, it still hangs, you know, kind of in the entryway of my parents' house. So every time, you know, I drop by or I drop the kids off or I, I walk in and visit my parents, you know, I'm, I'm reminded that, you know, for 40 years, I, I, I've known what it feels like to be in it, you know, and um, to, to sort of be able to work at that level where it, it feels like, it's taken you over, you know, kind of thing, which is really nice. That's the, uh, to me, that's the best feeling, you know, in the world when it comes to creativity, that you kind of fall in 
and find this thing that you're both discovering and making at the same time. Wow. Uh, <laughs> well, that, that raises a lot of questions for me. So one of the things that you brought up is that early, early in life, you had this talent recognized. And I think you're lucky and you're rare in that because I feel that at some point in our lives, we decide that we are not creative, we are not artists, we don't have that kind of skill. And I feel like so many people kind of just, a handful of people slip through the cracks like you (laughs) and have that encouragement. And I guess the question is around talent and uncovering that later in life if somehow we didn't manage to slip through the cracks and how we might do it. Well, you know, part of it's talent. I I think, you know, honestly, I I think creativity is kind of a, a pathological inability to accept the status quo. (laughs) Wow. That has to be my favorite thing you've said so far. (laughs) Okay. Well, move that to the front. Um, Don't make people sit through the other crap. (laughs) You know, I, I think it's an, it's just an aversion to the way things are. Some people can look at like a blank piece of paper Mm -hmm. and go on with their day. And then there's, um, I, I hate, I hate the word creative, but there's people like me, um, who look at a blank piece of paper and it's like, oh, uh, that won't do at all. Um, here, give me a pencil. I'll, I'll fix this right away. Right. You know, and it, it, it's not even necessarily that you have anything that you're trying to do. Um, it, it's doodling. It's 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 you know. Um, but that whole way of thinking that hey, the way things are uh, just won't do is. Um, is like the other side of the creative coin, you know. Um, you're always itching, and and believe me, I, I've I've worked in lots of different disciplines where I haven't been nearly as talented um, as I as I was, or, or as I am as a draftsman. You know, I mean, uh, it took me forever to understand what was happening in the writers' room. It took me forever to understand. Uh, what was happening in an ad agency, you know, just in terms of businesses and stuff like that. So the the talent, certainly when it comes to drawing and painting, in my case, was a big part of it. Um, I come from a family where, you know, my grandfather, um, people used to tell me stories and, and I'd see it, but they, everybody mentions the same thing that, you know, he was one of these guys that it, after lunch, you know, if there was you know, wax from the cheese on the table, everybody would be talking and, and, and sort of hanging around. My grandmother's clearing the dishes. And uh, 15 minutes later, there's a, a, a line of, of wax circus animals, you know, on, on the table that my grandfather has sort of pinched and pulled and, and made out of nothing, you know, kind of thing. And I'm the same way, you know, I'll, I'll, people saw it in the, in the writer's room. I can't keep my hands you know, still and to the side, I'm either doodling or making something or, or you know, it, 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 it's just, um, it's like whistling for musical people, I guess, you know, shit like that, just mm. always making stuff. Um, but it, in terms of getting the job done in, in, in different places, uh, you know, uh, like agencies, like a writer's room, like, you know, I think that, um, I'm not sure about creative <laughs> creativity. I, 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 I like talent and I like experience, um, uh, drive, uh, 
bravery, you know, um, just being willing to say the thing that everybody else is thinking um, that no one will say is has solved the problem a number of times in, in my experience, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's sometimes creativity, but I know other people in the room had thought of the same answer and just were not willing uh, to say it out loud, hmm. you know? Anyway. Let me ask you this. Why do you think we miss those moments early in life? Because I know I had some of them looking back. I can trace them back now while I'm doing this show. Uh-huh. But nothing as far as my adult life and the path that was put in front of me would have indicated that I had missed those moments. Well, miss the moments of feeling creative or feeling that flow? or Both. I know that I I can look back, I can pinpoint them from junior high to you know seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, but I could never connect them to a career path. And I'm wondering why I missed those moments and why most people do. I feel a good amount of people do actually. That's interesting. Um, well, I remember being really aware um, because I, I think it was kind of in between high school and college. I, I you know early in. Late in high school, early in college, I was much more interested in comedy and theater and stuff like that. And I, I, um, uh, I, don't, I didn't know what the career path was, but my hero was uh, Chuck Barris of The Gong Show. I, I mean, I, that, that's where I wanted to go, you know, um, on television, uh, doing shit that it looked like um, whoever owned the network had no idea what was going on at three in the afternoon kind, mm-hmm. of, kind of stuff. I, th- I thought... That was just the funniest um, thing around. And sort of David Letterman uh, picked up that attitude that um, I thought uh, Chuck Barris had um, in the early 80s, which is let's just get away with this before anybody finds out about it, you know, was kind of the thing that I thought was really funny. Um, I had been into, you know, Mad Magazine and National Lampoon, and, and I didn't know how you did it, but... You know, I was hanging out at the comedy store on Westwood Boulevard and sort of trying to work my way in there. I, I was a, a, um English major and uh, taking th- a lot of theater classes at UCLA. And then um, after two years of that, kind of realized that in every class I was in, whether it was theater or um, English or, uh, you know, there were like... 80% of the class was better than me. And, um, <laughs> and this was going to be a really long slog. And I, and I thought, well, you know, every time I take an art class, um, nobody's better than me. So let's sort of switch to art school and just start pushing this thing downhill. You know, it, it, it's going to be a lot easier ride. Mm-hmm. And so I went from UCLA um, kind of design and theater arts to uh, Otis and into illustration and um, and those sort of things, and I think that um, being able to say, um, "Okay, I like doing this. I'm happy doing this, and I'm really good at it, and um, I should be going." You know that that that's that's all right, rather than. Um, then, okay, this, this is hard. I'll figure it out. I'll put my nose to the grindstone. I'll just try and try. I, I mean, there sort of, it, it, it took a long time to realize that 
what I should be doing for work um, should be the thing that makes me happy and feel good, you know, not the thing that I can do if I work really hard. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to say what are the there's an Italian um, saying I, I don't know how to say it in Italian but uh, they say if, if you're not if you're not doing what you love you're gathering water in a basket you know <laughs> kind of thing and I, I I didn't know the saying at the time but that's kind of what I meant when when I thought okay let's let's push this ball downhill mm -hmm. kind of thing and and sort of go where your talent takes you and I've since going to art school and since sort of getting out and, and being on any career path, I, I, was, I was always really aware of basically the, the bargain that you, you make as a creative person um, on, on any career path, which is, you know, what I wanted from day one was I just wanted every day to be different. Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't care how much money I made. I didn't care... Um, but I, you know, from doing sort of Joe jobs in high school and college and sort of getting my way, making my way, um, working in restaurants or working in law firms or, or doing things where, um, I wasn't thinking and I wasn't making stuff and I wasn't able to, I, I knew I'd go crazy. You know, I just had to just stay, um, around interesting questions and, and problems that I hadn't seen before. Um, that's, that's the thing that makes me tick, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I, I think I, there's a lot of emphasis in, you know, educational environments. I'm, I'm becoming very good at one particular thing, you know, and, um, for people like me who, uh, that sounds like, um, hell on earth mm -hmm. um it's uh what do you do you know how do you it my my whole my whole thing is is um is constantly learning how to do the next thing you know how to do something else mm -hmm. um that's the only thing that, and i've been very very lucky you know um some and sometimes not so much i mean i remember uh at one point in my career, I'd, I'd made something like 35 Carl's Jr. hamburger ads, you know, <laughs> it, it, over the course of six years. And I thought, you know, um, I can do the 37th one with my eyes closed. You know, I, I, I know how this game works and I know what they want. And, that, and if I do this, um, uh, I'm dead, you know. Um, so I decided I had to go someplace else and try something different and, and sort of blow up a pretty su successful career mm -hmm. um, and do something else uh, or else I, I would um, I would sort of uh, lose the thing that got me to this point, you know, um, which was always being curious and always being uh, interested in, in um, learning how to do something different. If I settled in, it was just a matter of time till um, sort of the flame went out, I guess. I, I, don't, I don't know how else to put it. So I, I, I remember, you know, where I was standing I, where, when I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do any more of these. I'm going to go down the hall and quit. And, and then discovering like six months later that when you decide to, you know, blow up your career, that's really like the last decision you get to make. Um, after that, you're reacting 
to uh, what the world throws at you. And, and that's part of what you decided to do, but you don't realize, um, you know, what sort of, uh, what sort of control um, you're giving up when you decide to shake things up, you know, and uh, it put my wife through a lot. It put my kids through a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, I think it led me to a, a, a series of, of sort of better assignments in a much better place um, than I was. But, uh, you know, you, you have to do that every now and then, mm-hmm. you know, um, there is no, <laughs> there's no path, you know, uh, for people who, um, uh, are, um, inclined to make their own, you know, kind of thing. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So uh, there's just pure goldness. I mean, you've sparked about a dozen <laughs> ideas for essays I want to write now on my blog. Okay. 
you know, I, I want to talk about something which should surprise nobody listening. Uh, we, you, you've mentioned education a handful of times. And one of the things that really intrigued me that you said was that this kind of thinking is really not encouraged. In fact, it's almost discouraged. And, you know, school is designed for us to become very, very good at one thing. And I'd be really interested in hearing your thoughts on modern education and how we start to shift it so that this kind of thinking actually becomes the norm rather than, you know, some weirdo like you, weirdos like you and I who decide to challenge the status quo and do something that uh, nobody would tell us to do. Yeah. Um, I th- how do I say it? Uh, I think that the idea of trying to, you know... Um, educate a group of kids by age, you know, and, and sort of sticking them on this conveyor belt and putting them through a, a system where they're all supposed to learn basically the same things at the same rate um, is not doing <coughs> people a, a, a great deal of good considering that we're not living in a, in a mechanical machine-oriented, you know, uh, world anymore. You know, um, we're working with um, ideas and, and things all the time. One, one of the things that I, I'm a big fan of is, is uh, whatchamacallit, um, sort of much more tactical, hands-on, practical learning. Because I, I, I think that um, sometimes, at least what I've found, is you have to do things a lot before you can really get good enough to create something new or interesting. You know, I had experience in college, a lot of friends who did not have the the foundation of drawing that I had in art school. And they were not, they were not only frustrated in art school, you know, because they couldn't draw. Um, they were frustrated throughout their whole lives with, uh, without ever having the, built up the foundation. Like I said, I, I, I went in the eighties when things were really conceptual and art was about the idea and not the execution. And a lot of art schools just threw out through drawing out the window. Um, but you know, it, it takes a long, long time actually doing physical things like, um, like drawing, like, um, you know, uh, carving wood, like um, all the things that they used to have in, uh, in school when I was growing up, shop classes. Um, I, I had this feeling about three years ago that I had just been staring at glowing rectangles, you know, for the last 15 years. And, um, and I was losing the ability to sort of turn three-dimensional objects around in my head and and I could feel that my problem solving um, abilities were were diminished, and uh, I, so I bought a motorcycle and I pulled it apart and I put it back together. You know, just um, I had never done anything like that before. You know, but just to start um, working in a three dimensional and solving problems in a three dimensional world again. You know, we don't live in in a in a digital flat um, tablet. Uh, world mm-hmm. and um, they're wonderful and there's a lot of great things and I use them all the time and there's problems that I couldn't have solved um, without computers and things like that but in terms of um, 
thinking. Uh, I love um, seeing uh, different sort of educational systems that involve kind of hands-on um, practice and, and discipline and, and um, discovery. I, I think a big part of my education that uh, that uh, I don't even consider, people don't even consider was um, I think in second grade, uh, someone at the school, uh, I had a, a, a very progressive um, school principal at the, at the school, elementary school I went to, they started an international cooking club and the kids would go after school to someone's house in the neighborhood and a mom would teach them to make, you know, Italian food or English roast beef and Yorkshire pudding or uh, stuff, you know, whatever their, their sort of cultural specialty was. And, um, my mom was involved with it and it was, it was just a huge thing. It, it was, it was tactile and it was different senses and it was understanding the world from a different point of view. But, it, you know, there was a lot of that sort of United nation. It's a small world thing going on there. Um, and that you can't, you can't imagine there. How do I say this? There's no app for that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. I, I'm sitting around with a bunch of kids for an afternoon making food, you know, um, it, it's, it's huge, you know. You know, it's really interesting to hear you talk about sort of this non-digital world, especially, uh, you know, as I'm in the process of uh, talking to a publisher about a book deal, um, you know, based on how much writing I've done and how there are other creative habits, you know, and I was just talking to a friend this morning saying, you know, something I've had this urge to do and I can't figure out how is, uh, you know, those guys who... Um, you know, put on those masks and listen to techno music and paint those really cool paintings on the street. I started looking up those things on YouTube this morning. I thought, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to go to the art supply store, buy some paper and some spray paint and start attempting how to do this. And it's, it's interesting because like I found creative cross training, uh, somehow yeah. has influenced all my work in ways that I would have never imagined. And, and that's really, I, I, when I sent the, the, you know, revised attempt at a table of contents to the publisher, I said, I think I want to start exploring different art forms as a part of this book and part of my research, um, just because I feel like it leads to so many places. And I think it's, it's such an important thing. Oh, for sure. That, you know, someone told me, um, <coughs> excuse me, more stuff to edit out. <coughs> after, um, you know, after working sort of as a visual art director, creative director, you know, and, and my whole history um, uh, with visual arts leading to me getting this job um, working in the writer's room of, of the show, someone had uh, given me some really good advice, um, which was, if you're going to start learning to do something new, um, at the same time, take a class uh, or go and, and find some time every week for you to do um, something that you know how to do well. So uh, I think the first, second season of, of the show, um, I would take one night a week and I'd go to a, a head painting class at, at a local art school, mm -hmm. you know, just so while during the day I was feeling sort of really off balance, I could remind myself um, every day, you know, uh, once a week that, 
yeah, you know, you do know how to do something. And, and it's not just reminding yourself, but using a part of your head that knows how to solve the problem while at the same time using a part of your head that, that's wrestling with new ways of solving problems, I think mm-hmm. is, a, like you said, I think it's a kind of a creative cross-training thing. I think um, it, it helps. Hmm. Well, let's do this. Let's shift gears a bit and let's start talking about this whole idea of communication design, seducing strangers and, you know, tell, talking about it through the lens of, you know, what happens on something like Mad Men. Um, okay. Uh, one of the first conversations I remember having with Matt about why you know, other movies or television shows that had um, ventured into advertising agencies didn't feel authentic and real to me as an ad man was was because they always treated sort of the the creative idea for the ad as sort of, uh, what do they call it, Um, deus et machina, you know, it it would fall from the machine um, fully cooked in the last uh, few pages of the show, you know, into the into the brilliant creative genius's head, and that's just not what I ever experienced in 25 years working in an ad agency. I, I, the the conversation was something to the effect of, you know, uh, if if coming up with a solution or advertising or an ad is a hundred yard march down the field. Um, the ad only happens in like the last two or three yards. The, the, the first part of that march is uh, discussions with the client about their business problem and finding out what it is they want you to do so that you can focus your resources at, at, at solving uh, the problem, who the competition is. You know, it, it's a bunch of uh, bad ideas and false starts and, and red herrings and, and, and campaigns that you didn't sell. And then uh, maybe there's meetings and, and the person that you started with is no longer working on the problem and you have to start all over again. And, you know, a uh, famous advertising man, uh, David Ogilvy, wrote a book and said, you know, I think in 1968 he wrote the book. He said uh, Confessions of an Ad Man and he kind of rewrote it in the 80s. But he said the gestation period for an ad campaign in his agency is probably about three months. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, it it's, uh, hasn't changed a whole hell of a lot. Um, <laughs> schedules have changed enormously. They want it in two weeks. But the fact of the matter is what you hand them in two weeks gets handed back to you or it doesn't work. And eventually, you know, you spend two months, three months on it because that's how long it takes, you know, um, to come up with it, to really get into uh, a, to a business problem and um, go through the process of what I always thought felt, it felt to me more like discovery than creativity because at the moment that, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say I, or, or, but it happened or a lot of people I work with describe the same feeling. Um, at the moment, I, I would discover the reason that a, a a group of people bought a particular type of product or something. The um, the answer to 
how to motivate them sort of floods into your head in, in many different sort of ways and, and mess. It doesn't feel like, uh, at least for me, it didn't feel like I was creating all those things. It felt like, you know, um, if I could, if I could look at the problem, look at the market, look at the way people behave, discover what was motivating, um, the prospect, uh, at a level that no one had, had found before, mm -hmm. um, things, uh, things were just dripping off my pen faster than I could write them down. You know, it, it was, it was all, it, it, it felt like, you know, the, the tumblers fall, you know, and, and everything just looks, um, you see things completely different. You envision the market completely different. You know exactly what your client has to do to make it happen. And ideas for ads and headlines and messages are, are just, sort of falling out off your hand, you know, um, it, I guess it's creativity, but it, 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 it's a, it's a weird kind of feeling. Anyhow, that, that sort of how, how to make that, um, process, uh, real, um, you know, it, what it really looks like in an ad agency is a, is an advertising art director sitting in the office of an advertising writer, their partner, and you know, for seven hours leafing through magazines until one guy says, you know, uh, hey, what about this? And someone else says, well, it would be better if we did that. Okay, let's uh, market that up. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's really not particularly dramatic. What, what we would try and do um, on the show is, is sort of show all the stuff leading up to that kind of moment of discovery mm -hmm. and insight and try and um, use that not to tell business stories. No, no one, no one was particularly interested in advertising the, the ad business, but um, they were, they were uh, the shows about what's going on emotionally inside of each of these characters. And um, it happens to take place, you know, or, or what's going on emotionally is, is uh we we can see it uh, when it manifests itself in in, in their work, mm. you know, kind of thing. So let's do this. Uh, I, I want to get into sort of the foundations of communication design and the seduction of strangers. But I want to actually talk about something that, you know, we had started chatting about before you said, Trini, hit record because we're going to miss some good <laughs> stuff here. Uh, I want to talk about the, the sort of storytelling structure of Mad Men in the Pace because, you know, we were saying, I, I was telling you that I had gotten through eight episodes and every friend I had talked to said, Trini, you would love this show. And I couldn't get into it. And everybody said, you got to get through that first season. And then you do. It's, it's super addictive. I'd love for you to talk about sort of that aspect of Mad Men and kind of, you know, how that, is, how that applies to us as people listening uh, and, and our own creative process. Well, it, it's like the creative process of Mad Men is, is Matt Weiner's, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, what, how do I say, you know, um, <coughs> I mean, what, what I was involved with in, in the show was trying to contribute, you know, advertising stories or um, solutions to problems that he would pose. You know, it, it was like, how do we show, um, how do we show this happening in the agency? What happens when, um, uh, what do I say? Um, what happens when two people are going after the same job, you know, uh, or what happens when, 
um, Peggy, the young junior copywriter, sort of uh, hits uh, a room full of people that that have never seen a, a female copywriter. Mm-hmm. You know, or what's the best way to to show um, some of these I- ideas? Uh, so, it, it, I guess what I'm trying to say is, in an ad agency, you're you're trying to come up with stories and solutions that lead to a financial payoff. And on the show, um, I was trying to help a group of writers and Matt Weiner, the showrunner, um, lead, uh, come up with solutions that led to um, emotional payoffs. Mm-hmm. You know that, that it's it's kind of a really different thing. You know, um, it, it, it looks similar if we do it right, but um, what what you have to do um, in messages and communication to make somebody take action, you know, um, is is diff- very different from what you need to do to make them feel something. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, does that make make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I can I can talk to you about you know the it, it's pretty simple. The book lays out um, <clears throat> the four. Uh, sort of um, ads that that I have used, uh, or not four ads, <coughs> four kinds of uh, messages that I've used over the course of a 25-year career uh, to motivate people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, absolutely. Let's get into that. Um, I felt at a certain point, uh, I think after being in it uh, a, a dozen years and, and um, a client. I think early on in in my career, I had the the framework was sort of thus that the the agency was responsible for kind of all the emotional stuff having to do with the brand, you know, making it accessible and making it friendly and making it funny and all those things. And uh, the client was always sort of trying to get you to put more of the facts in and, and they, um, one second. <coughs> they were kind of responsible for all the, the product features. And I saw this as, and it was sort of set up that way. It was kind of set up as sort of this zero sum game and back and forth between, you know, the agency and the, the client. We, we would try to be, make make the ads and and stories more emotional and more um more community uh, or more uh consumer benefit driven and they would look out for the story of their product which which they thought was the hero of the story and <coughs> at a weird point or um you know and at about 12 years into it I I kind of realized you know, there are only two reasons that that human beings communicate, and that's either to evoke emotions or to transfer facts. And I thought it was the job of the agency to evoke emotions, and it was the client's, you know, responsibility as the brand manager to keep an eye on the facts, and that's how we existed together. And one day, this this client, you know, asked me, <laughs> he said, is there a an agreed upon um, 
is there a right amount of brand to sell in um, in a commercial? And he, he asked, like, was there the right amount of ratio, like flour to water in a loaf of bread? And <coughs> and he made those little quote marks with his fingers when he said brand, like, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to treat it as it's something real because I, I have to talk to you agency people, even though I, I don't really believe in things that I can't see. But um, it was such a bizarre question and I, I didn't know how to answer it, but I couldn't get it out of my head because one of the things that they emphasize in ad agencies is, is that you should always try and put your head into the mind of the customer, you know, and try and speak in their language and try and understand what they were about. And I thought, you know, when we sort of hit a wall with clients, we always go back to the agency and we kind of ridicule them for being, you know, sort of blockheads and not understanding the creative process, (laughs) understanding emotions and shit like that. But I really tried to think about what this guy was asking. And um, (laughs) after a few months of mulling this around in my head, I, I had sort of come to the idea that I had, only done four different types of messages in my whole career. And those messages were designed either to introduce a new product, bump sales or traffic, um, make what made a product or service different, unforgettable, um, or uh, sort of the fourth category was um, create a sense of uh, simpatico with a group of customers, sort of shared values and, and um, empathy. And I would call those um, ads sort of thank you notes or inside jokes, you know, um, <coughs> to let them know. They were, they were ads about the differences between people rather than the differences between products. You know, because sometimes you find out, like we did on um, a campaign for Carl's Jr. that I, I, I worked on years ago, that, um, you know, all hamburgers were, were pretty similar. There wasn't a lot of difference between um, the uh, the offerings of, of um, a lot of people, but, but we went after what made... Uh, this group, this certain group of um, fast food users, different. We went after uh, the 18 to 34 year old guy who was really hungry, who liked um, a big juicy burger, you know. And at the time, sorry, at the time, everybody else was going after um, price, you know. And uh, what we did was we started talking about what made the product different, which was, it was big and juicy and dripped all over the place. <laughs> and, and then eventually, um, after we sort of saturated the market with that message about six years later and, and everybody understood that, you know, what made the product different, we started talking about what made, um, the customer different with a, a, a different kind of campaign. And that went on for a couple of years, you know, so th- these, what I talk about in the book or a good portion of the book is about um, to do each of these different things well requires sort of um, not only different uh, 
facts and evoking different emotions. For instance, um, if you want to introduce a, a product in, in my estimation or in my experience, um, it's kind of counterintuitive because what you want to do is you want to leave something out of the introduction because what you really want when you introduce a product is you want people to inquire about it. It's very hard to get somebody to buy something the first time they see it. You know, what you're often trying to do is get them to go to a website or get them to stop in or get them to take a test drive or something like that. But you want to evoke a sense of curiosity, you know, which is very different from what you want to evoke when you're trying to get somebody, when you're trying to bump sales or, or traffic, what you're trying to evoke in people, uh, in those messages is a sense of urgency, and and the salient fact um, in those kind of ads are uh, limited time offers. That you know, if you don't come in now or this weekend, uh, the the price or the opportunity will disappear. Mm-hmm. But um, oftentimes, I think that uh, messages fail. People aren't uh, good at using. Um, ads and, and stuff like that because they're they're mixing uh, they're trying to do too much at once you know um, and uh, one of the things that that I got you know from working in the writers room is um, Matt or or directors or people constantly in in the entertainment field are asking what's the scene about what because everything in the scene should be uh, pointed to the one thing we're trying to get people to uh, to take away from this encounter, and a lot of what I think w- makes persuading work better is focusing really clearly on what it is you're trying to get people to do, you know, mm-hmm. and getting everything that isn't helping you do that out of there. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. That was, that, that was more about the um, persuasive messages and, and stuff you'll find find in the book. Yeah, no, that's that's brilliant. I mean, it's just you know, I mean, I can't help but think that in a lot of ways that something like this, you know, kind of like you said, you know, a creative person doesn't have a path; they make their own. And I always say, yeah, you don't get a map; you get a compass. Right, right, yeah. And and that's that's to me <laughs> what so much of this sounds like. Uh, you know, Josh, this has been just brilliant. There's so many interesting insights and, and you know, one-liners here. Uh, you know, having heard our uh, interviews and given your background and what you do, I'm really interested in how you're going to answer this question. Uh, <laughs> what do you think it is that makes something or somebody unmistakable? Um, unmistakable? Mm-hmm. Well, um, wow. Uh, what makes someone unmistakable? Um, okay, hold on. Okay, this is going to be a weird answer. But the best book that I ever read on winning new business when I was at an ad agency was a book um, called The Rules about uh, what women should do to um, go from being single to go to to go from being single to go to being mar- uh, to become married. And rule one was um, be a creature unlike any other. 
And I think that that's probably what makes people um, unmistakable is that they are willing to um, be whatever it is that makes them um, who they are, you know, mm -hmm. uh, rather than trying to put on um, and uh, act like someone else or who they want to be. I, you know, I, I found and I, I talked to, a, sometimes it just takes a while mm -hmm. to, and it's your, your path or your journey or, or it, it, it's, <laughs> the, the real answer is probably patience, mm -hmm. you know, um, to become something that's unmistakably different and unique. Uh, I find that a lot of friends of mine who talk, I, I talk to, you know, between 45 and 50, discover that, you know, when they were young, when I was young, uh, uh, there was somebody in the field who I looked up to uh, as a as a mentor and I thought, you know, I'll just work hard and pay my dues. And when I'm their age, I'm going to do their job, you know, and that's what I want to be. And the weird thing is by the time you get to their age, the world has changed so much that oftentimes their job doesn't exist anymore, you know, and you have to figure out how to be whatever it is you're going to be. Um, uh, with the skills that you've developed um, in the world as it exists for you now, you know? So I think your changing plus the environment uh, that you're working in changing makes you unique, mm -hmm. you know, or gets you to a place where you can, you know, be something different. People come up to me all the time and, and um, ask me how I got, you know, the best job in advertising, which was being the admin on Mad Men for seven years. And, and I got it because I, I sort of did three things that, that needed to be done together. I could, I could draw, I could work with the writers, you know, um, and uh, I had sort of that um, 1940s uh, education. So, um, that that helped um it it matt always says that in show business you know it's not about your idea as, as much as about why you need to be attached to it hmm. you know um there weren't a lot of people who could who could do uh sort of three things at, at once well, Josh, this has been uh, just absolutely fantastic. Uh, one of my favorite conversations I've gotten to have on the show. And oh, that's I, great. Thanks. I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story, your insights, uh, and you know everything uh, that you've, you've learned and been through with our listeners. Well, it's been a pleasure, and I'm sorry about the, the coughing and the voice and stuff like that. And if you need to... Um, you know, you want me to just re-record anything that I've No worries, no worries. We're good. We're, I'll we're, be happy to do that. Yeah, we're, we're totally good. And for everybody listening, uh, I will link up Josh's book in the show notes. I can't wait to get my hands on it and, you know, start digging through it. And we'll wrap the show with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator 
that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.